Ah, uh, there you go. I got a nice sassy pony over here. Oh, that's beautiful. This is a beauty. Mm -hmm. Sassy pony? That beer sassy looks hilarious. Pony. Oh, it's, it's really full good, of confetti. too. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good time. The art on it is pretty great. See, the only thing we're missing is having a white cloth built all over a keyboard. Never again. No, Andrew, this time. He told me um, he could not make the episode because it was, spoiler alert, going to be Wheel of Time heavy. And he felt ashamed that he had not finished the second Harry Potter book, so he's taking the entire day to read Harry Potter, book two. If you actually had to guess, how long do you think it's going to be until he reads the full second book? I um years? I never, never would be my guess. Actually, I'm also on the never boat. I I was hoping you were going to say a month so I could tell you how wrong I thought you were, but no, it's definitely. <laughs> Yeah, he did the first book because we had a lot of good existential pressure and we, we really had like a podcast hanging on it. But the second one, I don't think it's going to happen. We could pressure him to read other articles and other things and watch certain movies, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But he's never going to finish book two. No, I don't think so. Who needs it? We don't need Who more Harry it? Potter time on it. <laughs> We've got Wheel of Time now. This this episode, if, if you listeners, if you don't know Wheel of Time, this is going to be a Wheel of Time heavy episode. Which you should listen to anyway, because in the future there will be a Wheel of Time TV show, and now is your chance to get caught up with it, because there's a lot to get caught up on, but that's yeah, all we, I'll say for now. We custom-picked a podcast just to fit in Wheel of Time, so the bit fits. <laughs> and I think that's, that's, that's fair. It's, it's also yeah. a media we consume, you know? It's good media, yeah. And honestly, well, like, I what is an audiobook but just really, really long-form podcasting? <laughs> Is that a fair comparison? That's the only difference. No, I don't think it is a fair comparison, but I like I like the notion. Notably you, different, I guess. What was the last book you like physically read? Because you've become a big audiobook guy, right? I did. I have fallen into audiobooks pretty hard, but the last... What have I read? I'm going to have to cut this out. Now I'm like blanking in my mind. <laughs> I'm going to insert the like... 30 minutes later Spongebob thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Two days later. Three days later. What? I'm editing this one. What are you talking about? Please insert that. Hayden, <laughs> I like this hi, idea. Future okay. Hayden, please <laughs> hi, Future Hayden. Hi, Future Hayden. 298 frozen patties later. You know what the last book you might have read was? The Bible. Yeah. The... <laughs> <laughs> reading the entire bible is it, it reconfirms all of your thoughts on the subject no matter what angle you're coming from originally i'm pretty sure that's how that book works <laughs> that's a funny way to think about it but i think you're entirely right that's a that's an interesting way to think about it maybe yeah. it was the name of the wind series honestly because i sped yeah. through those books yeah yeah and those are so good they even mentioned that in the podcast we listened to I thought that was hilarious. We, yeah. Should we talk about that? Well, we can talk about that real quick. They mentioned Patrick Rothfuss and how he's similar to Robert Jordan. So first of all, I don't, I don't see that at all. And second of all, they mentioned that his Twitter account is infuriating to follow. Oh, and did I you go check up on that? It. I checked up on it. I didn't see what was the infuriating part, to be totally honest with you. I it's, thought he was like an anti-vaxxer on the side, but like a really good author or something like that. He's he's a strange guy. I've watched a lot of like YouTube interviews with him, and he's like a very energetic, nerdy guy. His t his top pin tweet right now is from 2014, and it's whenever you start to question your own artistic choices, just remember Picasso drew a butt, and it's a picture of the butt that Picasso drew. Let's go. Okay, sure. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I yeah, I don't I don't know. I, was I don't see anything in here infuriating. I know I was no Nazi a lot tweets. Of drama. Come on, like where where's the I juice? Know. 
I was ready for like the Trope 2020 flags, and I I haven't yet to see them. So, well, I don't know. But before we go, Wheel of Time too hard. Was there a recap corner you wanted to do about uh, Smith Rock and climbing? Oh yeah, this is gonna get quickly very deep into rock climbing, and I'm gonna try to explain it at a very simple level. Um, and rock climbing, if you go out to rock climbing. You put bolts into the face of the rock, and those are safety points for you to go climb up something. And there's a lot of spots where you wouldn't be able to climb the face of something without these safety bolts put in. And the climbing community is pretty self-regulated. They, there are these people, they know how to bolt walls, they go into these national parks like Smith. And Smith Rock is, you know, kind of what's classically known as the creating spot of climbing. And they put these bolts in the wall. And some people really hate it and think it's destroying nature and unpleasant to look at, and they're very against it. Um, other people don't feel that way. It's pretty hard to see the bolts. You have to kind of be looking for them. Like, even as a climber, if I want to go climb a route, it takes me a while to, like, fucking find those bolts to know where to go. Anyway, this is all a long-winded way. Um, it's It's kind of interesting that even to me as a, when I was getting into climbing, you find out that the people that put in these bolts, these safety equipment, it's all non-regulated. Some guy just goes up at night with a drill, puts in the bolts. You kind of trust that they're good to go. You trust the climbers around you to tell you if um, the bolts are rusty or unsafe or they haven't been managed in a couple years. And it's kind of a crazy thing in the sport because you're really depending your life on them. But it's just a part of rock climbing. It, it's really, you know, it, it'd be kind of like with rafting. You have to know the water conditions before you put your raft in. I, I just riffed that, so hopefully that's accurate. But you need to know these things. And uh, there's this very radical guy at Smith that went in and put in a rebarb ladder on the face of one of the rocks. And what I mean by that is that he took rebarb, he put it into the shape of a U, and he put in a left handhold, and then he took another one, he put in a right handhold, and he made a ladder all the Literally way up Literally steps wall. the entire way up. Yeah, that anybody could do. Anybody could walk up. And he didn't do this as a way to come and help the community. He did it to make a statement. He did it, like, literally to vandalize the park to say, hey, anybody can come and put in these things. What I did is not illegal. Look at this thing I put in. Ha ha. Fuck you guys. And he trolled, he trolled a national park, an entire climate community by doing this. And... This guy is well known for being very good at bolting, but he's also from I read all of this through a mountain project forum. He's also known by a lot of people for just like being mentally unstable. And his, <laughs> I, his, I heard of this through uh, yeah a, a Reddit post that came up. I, I saw it a few days ago. And oh, good. Yeah, totally. And I was like, who immediately was like, who would do this? Because it was kind of, uh, I gather, I haven't been to Smith Rock, but an iconic face, a really beautiful wall. And he just put up a, a quite literal ladder, like the the epitome example of what we were talking about in uh, our last climbing podcast. Yeah, and so ugly. Like, just the ugliest thing you could imagine seeing on the And I was looking up like, what is, what is this guy, what, what, what's his point? And uh, I gathered he was just insane, that he did it literally to piss people off. Well, and I'm sure he's trying to prove some sort of statement, but I think he's got like a history of pulling stunts to anger people. Well, see, so here comes the sad twist. Well, I don't know, maybe it's not a twist in the story. His whole point is that he wants bolting to be regulated. 
He thinks that other bolters are unworthy and don't put up safe routes and don't know what the fuck they're doing and are defacing the parks. So his point is to go put in this route and force the hand of the national parks to become like the overseeing body of, of where bolts go and how rock climbing happens in national park where right now it's, it's really pretty free form. And he, he kind of won the, the Smith's park Smith's national park came out and said that they are going to now have a heavy hand in the rock climbing community and regulate how routes are put up and whatnot. And so he, you know, he was a crazy guy. He went and did a crazy thing and, you know, kind of sadly, he, well, definitely sadly, he, he won. Like, he got exactly what he wanted. The thing is, like, bolts are pretty bomber. And it's not like you, you... It's not like there's a bunch of deaths from people falling on bolts and then blowing out. The, the kind of bolts you fall mm-hmm. on that do blow out are so janky looking that you, you're you kind of at fault for clipping them and expecting them to hold in the first place. And there there is the, the Alpine... Uh, the, the American Alpine Organization and things like that go out in different community groups and go out and rebolt roots and reset gear. But climbing's just such, especially at the start, you know, was so all over the place. It's not like they're ever going to hit everything. Maybe they could do this at Spith Rock because it's like a national park, but they're not going to go to some crag that takes four hours to hike to and clean bolts. Like no one is ever going to be able to do that except the community. Yeah. So that's what makes it really interesting and i'm curious to hear you know from an ignorant point of view i do see the benefit to regulating it right so like you're saying there's not you've got a community they can uh keep keep up as best they can with what bolts go where and if it's safe and whatnot but smith rock is a huge community it's full every single day almost the entire park with climbers but in some national parks where maybe there's less of a community like should it be regulated should you just be able to put a wall up wherever you want or it, it it's really interesting to me it's it's like a very like you're saying that it, once you put in bolts you're usually good to go but i've even been out to a couple places climbing <laughs> being like oh man we're by the ocean like it's very likely that those bolts up there are corroded and until you get up to the anchor you don't know and so it's kind of scary so i see both sides of it but Oh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't have enough information to know. Honestly, I could see like popular areas getting to the point where they're regulated like that just for pure overuse reasons. But like, hmm. like I said, this will never happen in far out communities because like, first off, you're talking about bolts, which are pretty set, but have you ever clipped like pitons, like the the old school ones you just used to hammer into cracks? See, climb in no. a lot of trad areas and people would, uh, that that used to be how you climbed. You know, you went up and you took these metal wedges and you slammed them into the rock with a hammer and then you clipped that or tied a rope around it. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those are still there. And sometimes you clip them because, you know, um, clipping a piton that's pretty janky is better than not clipping anything in a lot of cases. So some sport cl- or some trad climbs kind of end up being like trad, trad piece, trad piece, trad piece, clip a sketchy piton. Don't fall on that. Keep going. Trad piece, trad piece. I've climbed on routes like on Devil's Tower where there's still hammered in wooden pegs that the people in the 60s slammed in when they were climbing it. So stuff like that is obviously I'd- never going to get modernized. But, you know, standard crags, Yosemite. So, but I think all of this thing. goes to the to the radicals point of view where he thinks that, if, that that shit should be cleaned out. Like one of his big 
complaints was people go put up new bolts and they put them next to old bolts and they don't take the old bolts out. And like if you were a really good route setter, you go and take that shit out. But because it's not regulated and people are stupid and don't know exactly what they're doing, they don't go and clean up these mm, things that they yeah. probably should. And they're leaving unsafe equipment. I really want you to sit down and tell me why he's wrong. But the more I hate, I hate saying this right now, but like I definitely get his point. The only thing that scares me about his point is if you do go and say, oh, man, these uh, climbing areas need to be regulated, then you probably take the next step and say, well, any spot that we can't regulate, that spot is now no climbing there. You can't climb there. We'll, we'll stop you. We'll I mean, find you. I would you say he's it. wrong because the number of people taking injury related or fatal falls based on shitty bolts is probably so low that this hasn't popped up before. In the way that like things should be safe, yeah, he's right, but that's that's not practical in a lot of senses. And it's such a community-driven thing that people who feel really passionate about like safety and whatnot join local clubs and they join the Alpine organization and you know they take volunteer money and go out and fix stuff already. Like this is already happening. It's just at a community level and a grassroots level, not a government level. I agree. I think that they would find the job so overwhelming that they would have to restrict it. I don't think that there's any way that they could keep up with the amount of work that has to be done because it's a lot of work. And that's why, it, you know, they have these. And you'd have to hire the same guys who are in the Alpine Club doing this anyways. Like you have to you have to know where all these yeah, routes and, are and know the status of all these pieces. And I mean that's almost a plus point, right? Now you've got all of these these climbers that get to go put up routes for a living. Like I'm sure that they would love that. Getting paid for this thing. I mean, they maybe do for it's free. a maybe it's a good that's thing. Maybe cool. the local governments will just hand out money to the Alpine organization, you know? I just I but you know, I, I'm being my I'm being my own devil's advocate, but he, he, what's probably gonna happen is that the parks doesn't have enough money to do any of that shit, so they're just gonna say it's off limits. But to be fair, this this guy proved his point in a way that's kind of like taking a baby and then killing it on camera and saying, look, babies are dying all over the world. This is terrible. Yeah, it just sucks that he, you know, he got exactly what he wanted. And his last post that I saw said that he was going to Joshua Tree and going to Yosemite to do the same thing. At least the community hates him. So that's something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He is, He's not uh, making any friends. Definitely universally hated. No. I, I've known the climate community to be the most like loving, peaceful people, and there were so many people in that thread that were full of anger, and I can't blame them. Like, what he did was just insane, but oh gosh, yeah. I don't know. Not a, not a super fun thing to talk about, but I was curious to hear your, your view on it, and if there's any other climbers out there, you know, please tell me exactly what I'm missing to make me feel better, but <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. It's crazy that that can happen. It's, it blew my mind that it's, you know, that this is a thing that's going on right now. <laughs> to be fair, the part might be like, hey, we're going to let you bolt routes still, but we're going to make it illegal for people to put rebar ladders up the face of the rocks because we kind of missed that in the law until totally. now. <laughs> so yeah. he could have just yeah, I mean ostracized himself as his effective goal, but who knows? Yeah, can you think of a best case scenario out of it like what comes to mind to me is that they hire three people from the alpine community to be like if you're gonna bolt something you have to get their approval and you know do something like that like set up an yeah. approval. Uh, newly bolted routes of national parks go through the alpine organization the alpine club and uh 
Then yeah, the government the hands them a check to monitor something they've already been monitoring. That would be the best case goal. That'd be cool. Yeah, you know, maybe something terrible will spawn something. <laughs> and good. then he does we the same hope. thing in Joshua Park and gets arrested. <laughs> God, yeah, that's what I really want the end of this story to be. You know, man gets arrested, will never climb again. You know, kicked out of all national parks. There's a bit of Boulder story that this reminds me of. That's not necessarily the same, but is kind of like a vigilante justice of climbing. Do you know the the Boulder Flatirons, right? Do you remember how on the third mm-hmm. Flatiron they carved in a CU or painted in, I should say? That made me it so made mad. It made everyone mad. And there yeah. was a couple rounds of people who did basically vandalism on the third Flatiron to put in a C and then put in a U and then someone tried to make like which if you don't know Boulder, that's the that's our that's our universities, yeah. But the uh the guys who the the guys who put in the CU and painted over it like the major time that like went up there with white paint and ropes and like painted huge CU letters. They got that some p- climbers who were also up there found them when they came down. They were waiting for them and were so pissed off, they tied them to a tree with climbing rope. Uh, it looks like they beat them up a little bit and they called the police and those people were arrested. <laughs> it just said, this is where we left these <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> Which I think is just kind of a beautiful story oh, of people being like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. So did they, did they like carve it into they, the rock? I know at one point they painted it, but it's like etched so they, in there, So they right? carved it originally back in the day, but it wasn't very visible. So the guys who got tied to the wall, and I hope this is correct, uh, painted white letters. And then the city came back and painted over the letters in something that the, the closest paint match they could get to the rock itself. So you can barely see it. You can see it at the right okay. angle still, because like it'll be... Years and years and years until, you know, moss and lichen and things can assimilate that part of the wall again. But they did the best they could do because unless you're going to chip the paint away, there's not much correction you could do perfectly. And that would show just as much as painting it again. Probably worse. I would think that like just rain and sun would eventually burn it away. You can still climb past it, though. I just Maybe when you're out here, we'll go climb the third and go, go poke the letters. Yeah. I just can't imagine how much effort it had to have been to etch it in because it's it's pretty big. And it's weird it's because huge. like you have to it's be, be, I don't know, at least a competent climber to do that route. It's not hard, but you got to go up there with ropes uh-huh. and paint. And to be a climber yeah. and then still think it's cool to deface a fairly iconic climbing wall. Super iconic. Just an iconic. It's facing the... In- yeah, mm. that blows my mind. People are... People are dumb. I guess we shouldn't be surprised about it, right? People are idiots. <laughs> you add enough people in and there's going to be yeah. a dumb one. And I think that's the Smith Rock story. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is funny. That's pretty similar. Well, you, you got any other, uh, other, or other Hayden points that we should talk about? Yeah, I got a bit. So you guys are way ahead of me, but I've been watching Legends of Korra. I got a hot take. Nice. And, a, and, and, you know, Legends of Korra, the writers are pretty good at uh, being pretty progressive. So I imagine this point will get sorted out in the future. Spoiler <laughs> alert. In the first season, one of the main bad guys is uh, a guy who takes the, the, the normal people's plight and fights benders. And he's, he's anti all benders. And he just wants normal people. And he's taking away people's bending. And he's arming people so they can fight benders. The entire time I'm going, yeah, you know, you know, Anon. I think his name is Anon. That's correct. You're, you're probably right. I agree with the bad guy. And does this make me a bad person? You, you've already seen this whole thing, but I uh, so this was 
when we talked about this last, this was also kind of one of my complaints is that they they had the first season. I really like the plot of the first season. I think that's a really cool plot to go off of. And then the second season, they just forget about it. They just they just move <laughs> on. They just totally they just put it in its place. Like we're we're out of there. That whole thing about how you know maybe we're not that fair to non-benders. We're not going to talk about that again. And uh, it's kind of fucked up. I, I see your point. A large majority of the population is basically not walking around with firearms where everyone else is a living weapon. Yeah, and how the the police force is entirely made of metal benders. If you're not a metal bender, like, you can't be a cop. <laughs> I guess you could be a detective, but you can't be, like, someone on patrol. And, yeah, don't, I don't know. It's a... Uh... It's an interesting point. But I mean, what do you do? Like, you're born with it or without it. You can't just, like, kill everybody that's got it. Do they really not ever address this? Because it seems like they're building it this thing of, like, yeah, but the special people are so much more powerful, it's unfair. And if they just leave it as, yep, that's how it is, I'm going to be a little sad. I don't know, man. I'm not going to give you any spoilers here. But I will tell you, though, the second and third season, so good. Okay, so far I'm agreeing with the bad guy. So maybe I'm just going to be a villain lover this entire show. Well, it's it's a cool show when they can make you agree with the bad guy. Like, that's a well-written show, if you ask me. Yeah, that's a good point. And that one, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil anything. That one's got a great ending, though. It's It's the best Nickelodeon ending of all time if you ask me. And I'm excited for you to finish it so we can talk about it and spoil Ooh, it for everybody. I love this. Well, what you been listening to this week? Um, we we changed track at the last moment to fit in a really entertaining book series, The Wheel of Time. But uh, I was listening to a good amount of Stuff You Should Know. And then I've been listening to uh, this week's podcast, The Legendarium, which is uh, actually a pretty great looking podcast. It's it's four guys who sit around and review fantasy books, and I'm kind of into that. What have you uh, been consuming? Yeah, lots lots of Legends of Korra over here. Pretty pretty great stuff. Although the fourth season has not been my favorite so far, but that's all right. Um, a new show just hit Netflix that uh, it's not gonna be like my hot take. I didn't find something great. Everybody's watching it. Cobra Kai. Have you heard of Cobra Kai? I have. It looks like Karate Kid. Is it Karate Kid? It's it's Karate Kid in the future. It's the you know there's Karate Kid. He beats bad guy cobra kai guy and it's the cobra kai guy i don't know 30 years in the future wait the cobra kai guy is the good guy now he's the the main character now ah i'm into it okay yeah it's pretty sweet it's uh i'm only one episode in but that's been solid so they're like 30 year old men now not uh boys i think i think they're older than that i think they're they're in their 40s. Oh. Yeah, they're in their 40s and like, you know, I, I don't want to give anything away. Didn't they make a sequel to that movie where they like raised new generation of toddlers and made them fight? <laughs> toddlers. <laughs> well, I'm just imagine like six-year-olds <laughs> learning karate and <laughs> kicking each other's asses. A death match between like 10-year-olds. I would watch yeah. that. That would be a great film. Uh, it might be. I don't know. Child abuse might be on the line there. If they did, I don't know about it. I think there were like three karate kids. I think that's true. Well, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I, I can only really keep up with one show at a time. That's fair. But uh, Well, I'll tell you what, man. We should have been listening to the Doughboys for forever. The Doughboys <laughs> is such a good podcast. I cannot get over how much time I have not spent listening to Doughboys. It's they, I just did one where it's way back when. They actually did it with Aaron McGathy from Harmontown, and they went and did Chuck E. Cheese, and they're all talking about being grown men going into Chuck E. Cheese and like having a pizza and getting stored, <laughs> like stared at by all these adults and having to deal with the waiter and watch the you know like electric mouse do the thing. Because I'm sure everyone's like, where's your child? Why are you yes. here? 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. Those guys are so funny. I should have been listening to way more. Have you been listening to any Radio Lab? I haven't touched Radio Lab in a long time, no. I hadn't either, and I kind of went through, and there was a, a really good episode. The the Wooby Effect is an episode that talks about how keyboards were made, like uh, keyboards, computer yeah. keyboards. Oh, not the instrument, like the typing instrument. Like the typing instrument that's in front of our faces right now that we write letters on. And they talked about how in English, like our words are typed out with letters that phonetically sound out the words. But in Chinese, you can't do that because the characters are so complex. There's, you know, it's it's basically hieroglyphs. Like there's characters that represent ideas and things. And they can't fit all of the characters on a keyboard, not even close. So they were talking about when computers first came out, people who use the English characters, the standard letter forms, had yeah. such a huge advantage because they could just sound out all their words and spell out all their words because it's uh, it's ha spelled how it's phonetically pronounced for the most part. But you can't really do that with a character-based language. So they, they redesigned the keyboard and they were trying to figure out different ways to do this. And they came up with several different ways of like creating different keyboard patterns that matched parts of the character. So you'd like type one key and it would like be the squiggle on top and that squiggle on top is on like 300 other things. And then you type another key and it would be like the base triangle. And that base triangle would narrow those 300 selections down to like 50. And then you do these like elemental parts of the hieroglyphic characters of Chinese to type out the, the actual characters themselves. And then that didn't really work. And they were still developing that. And there were other methods where they just created a whole new language and like spelled out the words how they phonetically sounded. Yeah, because there's a Chinese phonetic alphabet. Right. And it was invented because of this. Oh, okay. I was so confused this entire time being like, but there's a phonetic <laughs> alphabet, so why don't... All right, all right, I'm on board again. And it was invented because of this, and the government backed that one and put a ton of money into that one and made everyone learn that one because in a lot of ways it ties together the language because then you have everyone in China at least saying the words the same, which was a large problem because there's like dialects and things, which makes sense. But they were talking about how these other keyboard types still kind of progressed and went through and they have like typing championships for words and speed and they've gotten to the point where you can actually type faster than you can type out english or version of chinese where you just sound out the words and it was huh. an interesting concept like to decouple the keys meaning the phonetic pronunciation of the words to just ideas they they have because there's ways you can do it with just a number pad for instance where it's combinations or you have certain keys that mean you would have a key that means noun and then another key that narrows it down and how you can create a whole scale of input that ends up being a lot faster when you learn it than just sounding out every word i thought it was a really cool concept that blows my mind that you could so you're saying you could type out the word that is the idea of something faster than you could phonetically type out the word? Correct. You can take the same, they can copy that same three-page essay much faster with these new algorithms than you can with like a QWERTY keyboard, for instance. But is it the phonetic alphabet they're using or the squiggly image, like drawing thing? The, the drawings, but it's the same content. Wow. I don't know. That's it's, crazy. It's cool. And that's it, mind blowing. If you, they were talking about, you know, optimizing this. If like 
really you were seeking to improve the point of putting in content as efficiently as possible. Sounding out each word is not the best way to do that. It's it's the widest base way to learn it, and it's the most practical from people learning from a speaking perspective. You know how like Google finishes your sentence when you start typing in, in a Google search? Mm-hmm. They were talking about how you can programmatically assign choices almost in real time with like feedback from all the content that exists on the internet and use that to speed up the process even more for typing in these ideas. Okay. In, you know, not a a sound-based version, but a hieroglyphic version, a a character-based version to the point where it's like so much faster than actually using a QWERTY keyboard and sounding it out. From that perspective, now the English-speaking world is behind. Not that China uses this as, as a mainstream. It's like a really niche group because the Chinese government enforced the way to like, okay, you need to sound out all your words with, you know, a QWERTY American keyboard. I guess my issue with all that is, is the efficiency of typing really the efficiency of communication? Like you, <laughs> you, you said we're behind, but I'm like, if you could type four times faster than I could type, I would not say that you are ahead of me communication. Like the speed at which you can output information over a keyboard does not translate into like having a more efficient economy. This at is least very it doesn't true. anymore. Maybe at one point it did. I don't type emails at the speed I can type. I type them significantly yeah. slower because I have to think about all my words. So my, I- my brain <laughs> is the block here, not the keyboard. So that's okay. Maybe this corrupts the whole point. But I thought I was neat. I'm so glad that no one's ever seen me write an email because <laughs> I rewrite every email I ever write like four times. It it destroys me a little bit on the inside. The same with Slack. I I love all the virtual communication we have now, but if anybody types me anything, I'm like, oh, yes, I will. No, 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 I don't want to say that. Oh, I, I think I'm going... No, 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 I don't want to say that. I don't want to sound too definite. And I retype everything one million times. So I think the more efficient society would be the society that doesn't sec them, second guess themselves. You like, could just I impress thoughts out. You could be like, this is the vibe I'm sending. And people If would I could just get to that. my final thought every time, yeah. <laughs> Perfect communication. I like it. Yeah. Well, still, that sounds like an interesting episode. I might I might check that out. You should. Well, should we get to the really interesting stuff here and uh, talk about the legendarium? Oh, the good stuff. I've never done this before, but I might veto their description. I uh, Their description is, is long and is not super great. So I'm just going to sum it up and say the Legendarium is just a, it's a fantasy sci-fi book and movie club. Like Aiden said, it's these, it's these four, it's usually these four guys, they get together and they talk about everything fantasy. They, they've talked about Wheel of Time, The Mandalorian, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Like if you can think of a fantasy series, they have like 300 episodes and I, I bet that they have touched on it. And uh, I, I get the vibe that they're, like, four childhood friends. Like, every now and again, they're asking, like, you know, they're talking about something that happened to them when they were, like, 12 years old. And they were asking, like, across the street from whose house was that happen? And, yeah, very, <laughs> very buddy-buddy. Um, we did uh, The Wheel of Time. So, if, if listeners, if you don't know, I just finished it reading the Wheel of Time series. The Wheel of Time is a 14-book epic fantasy series that's kind of Lord of the Ring-esque by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. It just finished like 10 years ago. I'm forgetting when the last book released, but it's fairly recent and uh, Amazon's currently producing a show based on it, which everybody that's read the series is very stoked on. 
So that's why if you see a lot of Wheel of Time stuff happening right now, it's because of that. Everybody's getting really excited for the show. And I've roped Hayden into listening slash reading Wheel of Time. So both of us are, are very into it. It's It's good stuff. You know, I remember when we did binge mode, I had said, this isn't my jam, but if someone did this on a book series I really loved, I bet I would love listening to it. And that absolutely hits the mark for this podcast. I think it's just because I love the book so much, but I very much enjoyed listening to people talk about the book I love so much. And just scrolling through, like, they, they've done... Uh, Wizard of Earthsea, they did the entire Expanse series, which is something I, I really love. They've obviously done like Lord of the Rings and all the, the classic fantasy pieces, but they've done like Dune. I, I, it almost made me want to check out some of these other series that I've read just to get a take on it from these guys. Yeah, like, like you're saying, I at first equated immediately to binge mode. Because binge mode, you know, they kind of do the same thing. They pick some fantasy series and they go through it. But instead of going through it with like a fine tooth comb and recapping it and going into all the spoilers and whatnot, they really just kind of like hang out and discuss it. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. Like two of the guys are really philosophically based and a lot of fantasy does have a lot of philosophy behind it. And so they kind of at one point, they, they tried to dig themselves out of it, but they got into this kind of interesting philosophical argument about it. Yeah, they're, they're pretty interesting to listen to. They don't, it's not a good, I want to recap of everything that happened, but it's a really good kind of like buddy-buddy, I just finished reading that book, I want to hear my pals talk about it kind of podcast. Honestly, I really enjoyed the lack of like a book recap and a chapter-by-chapter chapter recap. Okay. Assuming you've already read these books, which I don't know why you would listen to a podcast summarizing it if you haven't read it. Didn't you just say you were going to go do that? No, for the ones I've read. I guess oh, I, I have okay. much less okay. interest in the ones I have not read. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. But who knows? I've I've listened to other things like that, so maybe I would enjoy it if I liked the group enough. But I, I feel like it's not necessary to go into full recap mode. It's almost more interesting to get different takes on like, what's your favorite character? And did you like these points? And what do you think about the world? And I enjoyed that a lot. I could go either way. I, I could have used a little bit of a recap because Wheel of Time is 14 freaking books. I have <laughs> no idea what happened in book one. I can remember about five things about it. So I was, I was kind of hoping for just a small, here are the basic plots plot points and they get to them but they don't get to them in one chunk so it was hard for me to remember exactly what happened so it would be better right after reading the book it was a little bit rough coming to it 14 books later i could definitely see that 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 makes more sense i think i've listened to them on audiobook and now i'm reading the books in time wise a sooner point than that but when they were talking about uh their favorite characters for instance i was trying to remember like in the first book, who was my favorite character? Because it kind of changes throughout. And I think I did not like some of the characters that ended up being my favorite. To, to, to go into that, do, do you, who, who are your favorite characters of Wheel of Time, Jeff? Could you pick one? I have always been on the parent train. I remember, I, I remember in the first book being like, that's going to be my guy. He's this blacksmith. <laughs> he's like, the quiet giant, he's, he's really like methodical and people think he's stupid, but he really thinks through everything and is really caring for everyone around him. And I was like, that's my guy. And 
maybe throughout the book he has the least amount of character arc like he, he kind of goes from being oh i want to be in the background to being a full-blown leader and that's a cool arc but he stays like the i will die for my friends type of guy and i from from the entire story that he was my dude even from the beginning yeah yeah well, in the beginning, it was so easy because Matt and Rand were obnoxious, and <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly, so if, if Wheel of Time fans don't kill me, Nynaeve? 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 <clears throat> Whatever her name is, obviously uh, very agitated from the get-go. There was no Elaine yet. I grew to really like Elaine, and Egwin was okay. She was all right. So yeah, Perrin was like the... I know a lot of people like Lan. But why would you like Lan? He's just quiet. He's just hanging out. Yeah, he's the cool guy. I don't think he's terribly good. He's the least interesting guy. Like in the beginning, I don't think I liked Matt or Perrin at all. But not for any fault, just because they didn't have like any character depth. And it was really hard for me to like remember at that point because I don't think there was really much about them in the first books. And I remember at the beginning being like, I don't like Matt at all. I fucking don't like this guy. In the beginning, <laughs> he steals a dagger, and everyone's like, don't touch anything. And he's like, I'm going to steal this dagger. And it turns out to be a huge problem. And I'm like, see, so you're just being a problem. Didn't like that. Did that happen in the first book? Did you I get believe the dagger so. in the first? Oh, my God. I believe so. Wow. Because they so go Matt- through Chadar Logoth, this, this cursed place, and everyone's like, okay, don't touch anything. And he's like, but this dagger. I'm going to take it. And it curses him. I I didn't like him for a while, and I think Perrin became my favorite character, because, spoiler alert again, once he starts getting his cool stuff with talking with wolves and whatnot, he becomes really interesting. Oh, yeah. But honestly, this book that I'm on now, number 11, Knife of Dreams, Mm -hmm. and the last, I think Perrin's kind of fallen off for me, just because he hasn't really done anything, and... His cool bit about hanging out with the wolves and being able to talk to wolves kind of is less interesting when he refuses to engage with it actively. He like actively ignores it. And I'm sure that'll change at some point. And not at all points, right? But in general, he gets a little bit more boring. And then once Matt started, got got healed from his curse and got his, uh, he has this whole point about how something happens and he gets reconnected to everyone has past lives in the wheel of time. It's a reoccurring cycle and he remembers his past lives at some point so he has all these memories of these battles that his past lives have been in and things and they take over and teach him and then he also becomes incredibly lucky where things just randomly work out for him dice rolls happen for him he chooses the right path a lot of times and since that started to tick up Matt's so much more interesting than Perrin (laughs) not that I like him better necessarily as a character morally but he's definitely more interesting. I think that Matt's luck thing really threw him out of balance for me as a character because it felt like it just made him invincible. So every time I was <laughs> reading about Matt, I was like, why? He's not going to die. Like, anytime someone tries to stab him, he just right at the right moment happens to trip and nobody's able to get him. So I I like Matt a lot. He's he's definitely on my, my top characters. And I his story with Tuan is, is really cool and really interesting. And I'm really into it. But, uh... I I just reading his chapters like all right come on nothing's gonna happen to you you're gonna be just fine so let's let's keep it rolling yeah that's definitely who fair. who was your favorite I'm curious who your favorite female character was um Catswain Catswain Malidrin I believe is her full name that is not how I pronounced it but I like it 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I think Catswain Maladrin is my favorite female character. I like the way she's written a lot. Uh, Moraine seems like seems like too much of an easy pick, and then she dies halfway through, and probably going to come back at some point. But yada yada. I I feel she's a little bit more flat, and some of the other characters are have flaws. I think are a little bit more boring. That's fair. What would you say? I really liked again. I don't know how to pronounce her name right. Avinda. Avienda. Avienda. Yeah. Okay, uh, I changed my answer immediately. Avienda is clearly the best pick. <laughs> Avienda is such a nope. So Avienda is the best. I've been told that you shouldn't call all awesome women badass. Apparently, that's just like an attribute that get, like happens too much. Like somebody's cool and you call it like a badass woman. But Avienda is the most badass character. Like she's she's so strong with the power. She's also like really good with spears, and she is just like ready to jump into fucking anything. And and she's just she's also probably the wisest one. Like she'll call Rand out on his shit one hundred percent of the time. I, yeah, I really liked Avienda. I really felt at one point in the podcast ap- episode we listened to, they were talking about how Robert Jordan possibly writes a lot of his female characters pretty poorly or with questionable points. But the the thing I agreed with the most is they were talking about how uh, he kind of creates these romances out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at one point, Nynaeve and Lan fall in love and... I didn't understand when they had even talked before. And I guess you could say that the chapters are written from a character's perspective and we just never really got that bit. That was my take on it. I totally agree with that. But anyway. I didn't like it so much. It was like not even hinted at. It was it felt super forced. It was like la 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 la. These characters don't necessarily like they're two strong headed people. I didn't think it fit and it was like a forced romance in. And honestly, a lot of the romances in Wheel of Time in general. Fael and Perrin, uh, basically everyone in Rand. You didn't feel the Fael and Perrin? I, that was the only relationship I was like, oh, he, he got it. He figured it out. Here it is. And maybe it's like a bit about listening to it in audiobook form versus reading it, hmm. but they seem to happen so fast. It's just, I don't even notice it, and then they're in love, and they'd sacrifice anything for each other. Okay. It, I, I don't know. I can't get behind it. But I like Avienda a lot because that was the only one that hit for me because she just fucking hates Rand for so long. And then she's like, God damn it, I'm in love. <laughs> I kind of feel I like that's that... exactly how Fael and Perrin was. That's my only... I'm, I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay, I'll get okay. off my box. But yeah. Anyways, I liked her, her arc in that way too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of refusal of the call there for both of them, which was kind of cool. They both were like, I don't want to deal with you right now. And then they were just like, well, all right. I also really liked Min, and I got really upset. Not really upset. Either in this episode or another one I listened to, they were talking about which character you would take out for the film adaptation. And they named a character, and I was very mad that they chose this character. Do you have anybody that you would take out? I mean, there's characters that I think you could take out without impacting the plot too much. I'm talking about a main character. Lan almost seems pretty flat to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm not sure he would be considered main, but he's main-ish. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I like Min, so I don't want to take her out. She she has more depth and character development than Lan does in a lot of ways because he's like stoic and you know he's stoic at the beginning and he's stoic at the end and that's a cool bit. But 
Did I already say that yeah. they chose men, or did you just guess that? You you said that. Damn it! Oh, I didn't realize I'd said that already. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to take out men, and I they were like they wanted to take her out and spread her role out over a couple characters. That was their argument, but in my mind, men was the only character like keeping Rand from absolutely losing his shit through like the last five books that's that's at least how i pictured it as like he would have lost his freaking mind except that there's like someone there that he's got to stay stable for i really like men she's probably my second favorite female character and i was so bummed to hear that think about film adaptations is kind of fun yeah i i i, I it'll be so long before they actually get it together and i'm not convinced they're gonna do it well but i'm excited for actually seeing that I know. To to be honest, I don't even care if they do it poorly or not. I am excited to see anything they do with it. You know, it's just kind of funny to see characters that you've read about, or I guess in my case, listened to, how they're portrayed in physical people that they can hire and who are good actors. Yeah, I don't know why, but like as an example, when I read Harry Potter, I always thought Hagrid was a big red giant, and then when he was in the movie, he didn't have any red hair, and I was like. You're fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. Yeah. No, I uh, no, I get that. I think they're gonna throw a lot of things. Um, they're gonna mix it up a lot. It's gonna be kind of hard to watch for a little while, but I think it'll be cool. I'm excited for it. I think it could be great. It could be the next best thing. And we're we're already caught up. We're on board. So. Yeah, my wheel of time hype is high. Yeah. I uh, I'm into the books. It's. I can fall into them really quickly. I start reading a chapter and then I'm going to be like, I'm going to read for five minutes before I go to bed. And then I finish the chapter like 30 minutes later. Yeah, definitely. That's why I think I like this podcast because it was talking about a thing I liked. Well, and did you hear how many times they said that you have to reread the series to really get it? Oh, it's all the validation I, I need. I imagine rereading one of the longest fantasy series ever written. It sounds like a it's lot of people do it. books. And they're all fat boys. They're all fat boy books. That's all right. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna get you on Stormlight Archives or Mistborn or something else. Oh yeah, you're gonna let this. me borrow it when I come out to to visit. Uh, less borrow and more force it on upon you. Okay, that that also works. <laughs> oh, and I can give you the last uh, Wheel of Time books. It'll be a good book trade. Perfect book trade. Book trade. I- I'm excited, man. I'm into it. Well, should we get to we we? I don't know how well of a job we did talking about this podcast. Let's talk about this podcast a little more. Did you like the four dudes? Because it's it's four friends. I, so, you know, this happens when you're picking up a podcast for the first time. I couldn't distinguish the four of them. There was only one of them <laughs> I could really distinguish. And, like, three of them had already read the series and one of them haven't. And they all sounded pretty much the same to me. Um, but I really liked them. I think they did a good job of talking about it very intelligently and at the correct depth. Where I was like, these are cool points, but we're not going to spend half an hour arguing over something. So I thought I thought it was really good. And I kind of like the in-depth things they did about not not so much focusing on plot, but focusing on like, you know, does having things predestined in the book mean that it ruins some of the suspense? Because if you know this person is, if they're in the prophecy that they're going to be here at a certain time, they can't die before that. And like, that's, that's, I kind of enjoy that talk about plot building. I knew you were going to like that. When they got to that point in the podcast, I was like, Oh, we've got Hayden hook now. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. And I really, I, I hope I want to listen to more of it. And I really hope they dive into the philosophical pieces of it more because wheel of time has a lot of philosophy, like built into it. I mean, the whole thing is about dualism and predestination and whatnot. So I'm, I'm excited for more of it. 
Because I mentioned that, do you think that ruins it? Do you think having a prophecy in a story that because the prophecy is Rand is going to face the Dark One at the the final battle mm-hmm. ruins the suspense of any of the book in between? I don't think so at all. I think without any of that, if you're reading any fantasy series, like you start the Lord of the Rings, he's got the ring, he needs to bring it to Mount Doom. That's going to happen. You don't need a prophecy to tell you it's going to happen. You know from reading the story it's going to happen. So, I mean, that's kind of why Game of Thrones-esque plot hooks of having you really like a character and then killing them are good because it's so unexpected in our natural zeitgeist of how stories are built, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it ruins it either because they do such a good job of, especially with the Aes Sedai, like you can say a truth, but then it can be twisted and mean so many different things. Yeah. And you can make the prophecies that way. But I would also really enjoy it. I haven't finished the series. I would also really enjoy it if, like, some of the prophecies were just wrong. (laughs) Or, like, you know, something just didn't happen. Yeah. Like, I think that adds a certain amount of complexity to it. Well, and that's where I think Robert Jordan was kind of a genius. Like, he did have all these prophecies, but they were written so ambiguously that a lot of the characters spent time arguing about what any of them meant. And, you know, you... I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm going to stop talking about the prophecies right here, right now. But it does provide a good chance for him to like twist things around. So it's 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 very solid in that way. Yeah, it's not as it's not as blatant as in if in Lord of the Rings they were like, "Yep, Frodo's going to throw the ring in. Like it's going to happen." Okay, let's go through the story now. But you know the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and so one more piece I want to talk about, and I don't know if Robert Jordan did this or if Brandon Sanderson did this, but. So there's men, right? And she can kind of read people's patterns. So in a way, she can see into the future. And the first time I read about men, I was like, man, you could abuse that so hard. You could find so many ways to like just go around from person to person and find all the dark friends and find all the bad people. And at one point in the book, they do address that and they do debunk it and they take the time to go do that. And that is so cool to me that they would... The last couple books are like, here's all the the holes you think that we've provided, and then they just fill them in. <laughs> it's oh god, the book series is, it's it's so good. And that's actually we should talk about this real quick. Getting back to the podcast we're talking about, <laughs> they uh, took I think at least twenty minutes to talk about you know what are the actual flaws in Robert Jordan's storytelling because there are some flaws in it. It's not perfect. And they, you know, they're way more um, discussive about that than binge mode was, where binge mode was kind of like, haha, let's ignore. Hype train. Yeah. yeah, hype train. They're they're not a hype train. They are, we're going to discuss this honestly, just our opinions. It was really cool. It was a good, it was a good podcast. I feel like we're at final thoughts already. So should we dive into final thoughts? Let's do it. I like this podcast. I would call it very listenable with the asterisk that you've read the books. I, I don't think I would like it nearly as much if I hadn't read the books, solely because they don't actually go through the plot. And you kind of need that bit if you're going to really enjoy them talking about the, the overarching themes as much. So I think it's highly listenable. I agree. I couldn't tell who any of the four guys were. I, it could have just been two guys with slightly different voices the entire time. Yeah. But um, I will continue to listen. I, I will recommend for anyone who's into fantasy series like this. It seems it seems a good one. And I enjoyed it so much more than Binge Mode. Hopefully not just because I like Wheel of Time so much more. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was great. 
it's a really good podcast. I definitely agree. It's it's unlike binge mode where I think binge mode you you could not have read the content and still really enjoy the the entire series that they do. This is very much you sh- it's probably meant to be consumed by you've watched or read this thing, here's some people discussing it and it's really interesting. And if you do it in that way, I think it's a great podcast. I it's so hard to even compare it to binge mode because binge mode is they sit down and they research everything to such a degree and this is just a free flow discussion between some buddies so it's it's such a different chart but i still think if you enjoy binge mode you would probably enjoy this podcast they they seem like fantasy experts these guys are talking about fantasy at such a level like they are comparing it <laughs> to really good examples it's it's very solid it's good stuff and they do two episodes a week it's crazy it's a lot of podcasts. That is crazy. I can't believe that. I think we should state that it's also pretty high on the nerdy scale, as might be expected by having a, a podcast about fantasy series. So if you didn't think this was a nerdy podcast, it's a nerdy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't think That's these true. guys talking about uh, these fantasy series <laughs> that are up on 14, if it wasn't apparent to you quite yet, and if, you know, if you're... <laughs> It's it's I think it's almost the level of nerdy we are though, right? No, it's probably nerdier than than we are. Yeah, probably a bit more, but at a level I very much enjoy. Yeah, and I they're not the I I hate to stereotype nerds because I'm one of them, but they're not obnoxious. There are some very obnoxious nerdy discussions, and I did not at any point in time think that they were annoying in any way. Totally. And they didn't get Agreed. into the I don't Again, I'm just stereotyping like crazy. I'm sorry, buddy. But like sometimes nerds can get into nerd arguments that have no point or meaning <laughs> or are getting anywhere. And they also never did that, which I really appreciate. They really kept it flowing. I I, I, I highly recommend to anybody. To re- I think it's a great podcast. Very good. We'll be listening to more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next week we'll uh, be, you know, maybe we'll bring Andrew back. We probably will. He'll hopefully be done with Harry Potter by next week. If he's not, well, then. Who knows, man? Yeah, he might have to skip out on the rest of the episodes until he finishes book two. We'll have to see. Yeah. Maybe now <laughs> we'll uh, insert our, our sound clip again of Andrew spilling his drinks just so that he can still be on the podcast, you know, spiritually with us. Hold on. I have a iTunes review that I would like to read to you all. No way. Jeff is the worst person in the world <laughs> and eats soupy poop. That's all it. Five stars, though. I mean, if you agree with that, please let us know. Tangent.quest.podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Does Jeff eat soupy poop? I know you're just going to edit that. That's really funny to me. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck me. Is this the epic? I just want to make a little sound clip that we can inject of, of Andrew's reaction when he first dropped it. Oh, gee. Oh, God. Oh. We can remix that for our intro music. Remix that. Remix that. Remix. 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 Remix that. Oh, oh, no. Fuck. Remix that. Oh, oh, no. Fuck. Oh, shit. Fuck me. Oh, God. Oh, oh. Oh, boy. It got on my glasses. Fuck, 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 fuck. So I'm a natural spiller. Oh, God damn it. Natural spiller. Oh, 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 oh boy. Fuck. Oh, so yeah. I'm a natural spiller. Fuck me. Oh, God. Oh, oh, oh boy. Fuck, 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 fuck. Buy a 12 pack of White Claw.